how are we doing? It's good to see you. Good to see you. Hey, we're getting in that back to school season right now. And uh, our teachers and admin and everybody, tomorrow's the, the day that they go back. And uh, so here's what I want to do just before we get, get into tonight's teaching and this, week, uh, this weekend's activities. Uh, if you are a teacher or administrator, um, would you just do me a favor? Would you just lift up your hand, um, even if you're at home? Okay. I can't see you at home, but I see him in the room. Okay. We can't touch each other again. Uh, so here's what I just want you to do. If you would just kind of extend a handout to those around you that are in teachers, administration, anything like that, and let's just pray for them. Let's pray for the school year that's getting ready to start, and um, let's just ask God to give favor, safety, blessing, and, and just a, a sense of wisdom over our leaders. So Father, we just lift up our, our, our leaders to you right now, our school, our school leaders. Uh, we ask you, God that you just anoint them with wisdom. Uh, you said that you give wisdom to all who ask, and we're asking you to give them wisdom for the decisions they had to make for their, their classrooms and campuses this year. God, I'm just asking you to bless them with, with safety over the campuses this year. I'm asking for you just to give an incredible year of education. Uh, God, that we put out the opinions, that we can stand on truth, and I thank you for the calling that you've placed on our teachers' lives and our, our administrators' lives. And I just pray in just an anointing in that, that calling, God, that you just equip them and prepare them for, for this work that begins this school year. And uh, God, I, we know that as you work in our administrators and our teachers, that the light uh, will shine through to the kids. God, I'm just reminded of your word that you said, let, let your good works be shown before man so that people will see your father and glorify your father who's in heaven. And so I pray that through everything done this school year, that, that our students, that other faculty see your goodness and they glorify you, God. We trust you, we love you, and we pray for just an incredible success over this school year. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, thank you, teachers, administrators, principals, vice principals, everybody, school district. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for everything you do. It is, uh, it is absolutely a calling, and we love uh, getting to support and walk with you in that calling. I remember when I went into the corporate world as my first kind of corporate job, I was a, I was a call center representative, and uh, that meant I was taking phone calls all day. I worked in a billing center for telephones, okay? So you remember when we, back in the day when we had a home phone, uh, well, when people couldn't pay their bill, they called me. And uh, so it was a real pleasant experience for, for nine and a half hours every day because we had mandatory overtime because it was such a sought after job, right, <laughs> to be yelled at all day. And uh, I remember just that, that, you know, I'd sign in and you'd have to be on your phone. I mean, if your shift started at 7.30, there's this LED clock on the wall. When it said 7.29 and 58 seconds, you had to hit ready because by 7.30, you're on, man. And so it just, it was just like, boom, here it comes, here it comes. And I just remember thinking that if I could just get out of this position, and uh, I saw a posting for a supervisor in the call center, so I applied for it, and they have this interview that you have to go to. It's a structured interview where it's before a panel of people from HR and other people in the call center, and they ask you questions, and so it's an interview, very structured interview. And so I, I, you ever had that moment where you come out of that going, I think I nailed it, right? So the next day... Um, the manager, one of the managers of the call center is calling people in one by one to give them the results of the interview. And so all I hear coming from that office is yelling and screaming from people who took the interview. I thought, man, 
they must have done terrible because I feel I really felt like I just aced this thing. I mean, and so I go in and, and you know, I'm not trying to be too optimistic, but I'm thinking, you know, hey, come on, man. Y'all know you've had a bad day because I've heard the screaming coming out of this office. And so he tells me, he goes, you didn't pass it. And in that moment, I thought, I can either behave the same way I've heard everybody behave today or I can take a different tactic. And so when he said I failed it, I said, you know, I don't, I, I may have failed it, but I'll view it as an unsuccessful attempt. What do I do so I pass it next time? And I had to wait six months to take it again, which meant another six months have been on that phone. But the attitude that I approached him with, he said, I'll tell you what, I will help you get ready for that. So for six months, I would stay after my shift or come in before my shift, and he would train me, and I would spend time working with this manager. So six months later, I took that interview, and he was grinning the whole time because he was on the panel of the interview. And, and I'll never forget that moment in my life um, that, that you wanted something so bad, and yet failure got in the way. But a lot of people don't keep going after failure. They don't, they don't take the attitude of that was an unsuccessful, unsuccessful attempt and I'm gonna try something else. I'm gonna get coaching, I'm gonna get training, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get somebody to mentor me and I'm gonna try to keep stepping forward. And I think, I think that was the key for me in that, in that job because I made the decision, this is not just a job, it was a career for me. And that began this whole process. Now I thought getting off the phones would be awesome but the supervisor in that call center, I found was a whole lot worse because now I'm dealing with even more angry customers and I had 40 employees I had, to, I had to manage and coach and meet all these quotas. But that set me up in that corporation for incredible advancement because I had what they called frontline experience. And, and so what happens is we, we go through moments where we find failures and we all have to deal with failure. The key is how do we overcome it? And who are we going to run to in the process of overcoming it? How, who are we going to look to in that? I want, to, I want to introduce you to a guy this weekend. His name's Peter. You might have heard of him. Peter has walked on water. He's a follower of Jesus. He was a disciple. And so we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 22, and then John chapter 21. So if you got your Bible and you want to go there, and that's a lot. I got a lot of, I got a lot of scripture. So we got a long way to go in a short time to get there. And I'm going to put it on the screens for you. You can follow along. But in, in Luke chapter 5 is where we see Jesus approaching Peter. He's, he calls him to follow him. And what was happened is Peter... Uh, is, is a fisherman by trade, and he's, he's been fishing all night, and, and they didn't catch anything. And so if, if that's by trade, if you're a fisherman and that's how you make your living, and that's how your resource hap comes in, and you fish all night and catch nothing, you're going to be a little put out in the morning, right? You're going to be a little frustrated because I did this all night. This is my trade. This is what I do. And he didn't catch anything. And Jesus shows up. He starts teaching people from the shore. And then he asks somebody in a boat, hey, can you come bring the boat? And I want to stand in the boat and teach them because the crowd's growing. Well, he just so happened to stand in Simon Peter's boat. And so this is what happens. And, and when Jesus had finished teaching, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Simon is also Peter. Simon answered, Master we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. So Jesus shows up, 
night of failure. Like night, I've worked all night and have nothing to show for it other than my exhaustion. I didn't catch anything. This guy, Jesus, shows up and he recognized, Peter recognizes authority in him because he says, Master, because you say so, I'm gonna go at your word. So they cast the nets into the deep and all of a sudden they catch so many fish. Now look at, look at Peter's response. He says, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He recognized who he is. He recognizes this authority. And Jesus said to him, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So, so Peter experiences Jesus through, through a night of failure, and that's not even where we're gonna spend the bulk of our teaching, but he's, he spends this night working and toiling, nothing to show for it. Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden, Jesus says, if you'll cast off into the deep, you're gonna be surprised. When Peter sees this, he's confronted by the power of Jesus, and all of a sudden, he throws himself down and says, I'm, I'm unworthy to be around you. And Jesus says, not, no, no, that's not what I'm saying here, Peter. I'm asking you to come follow me. You're going to come and do what I do. It says he left everything to follow him. He left the nets, left the boats, left everything, and here he goes. And he was with James and John, and, and they, they, start, they start following this Jesus, this rabbi from Galilee, and they start coming in, and they, they're like from Nazareth, and they start coming in, and he's calling all of his disciples, now, they, they've spent some time, they're doing some ministry together, and then in Luke chapter 22, there's a, there's a conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Luke 22, verse 31 says this, Simon, Simon, behold, this is Jesus speaking. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. That's comforting and yet disturbing. I mean, really think about it. I mean, if Jesus would, would come to us and say, hey, I mean, if you were to say, Matt, hey, Satan demanded to have you because he wants to sift you like wheat. Now, to understand how they sift wheat in this time, what they would do is they beat the wheat, right? And all the, the heads would fall off, the shaft flies up in the air and gets blown away by the wind. So Satan is asking me to beat you. But don't, don't worry, I've prayed for you. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. How about you shut him up? How about you stop him? You know, wait. I, I saw you, what you did the day you called me to follow you. You said, put your nets over here and there's all those fish. Remember that, Jesus? I mean, all, all the ministry we've seen happen. I mean, remember that, Jesus? Like we say, you, you let me walk on water. You remember that miracle? Satan is asked to come after me. Just stop him. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Because Jesus knows struggle's coming. Jesus knows we're going to experience that sifting and that, that struggle and that strife. And when you, listen to what Jesus says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to both prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And so they, they go on in the, in, the, in the events of the day. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gets arrested that night in the garden. There's a, there's a scuffle. Simon cuts off uh, one, of the, one of the servant's ears. Jesus puts it back on, but they arrest Jesus. They take him away. They follow at a distance to see where they're taking Jesus. And then three times, people look at Peter and they go, you're with him. You're one of his followers. And Peter's like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. One of the times when, when they asked him about it, he began to invoke a curse on it. He, he began to cuss and say, I, I don't know him. Leave me alone. Get out of my way. 
And then what happens in, in, is, is the, the moment hits in verse 61 that says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This absolutely crushed Peter. I mean, he, he went from that same day, guys, I, want, I, that, that, I thank you for praying for me, Jesus, and I know Satan's coming after me, and I can stand up because I stand in your faith. Thanks for praying for me. Thanks for my faith. But Jesus says this thing, but when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now, that, that kind of doesn't really resonate with the situation because Jesus knows what's coming. But then all of a sudden for Peter to say, I'm never going to fail you, Jesus. I'm with you. I've got you. I will die with you. I will go to prison with you. And then all of a sudden he's trailing at a distance, and when people are trying to associate Peter with Jesus... He denies him. That's, that's the failure, right? That's the moment of going, just completely disowning Jesus, completely walking away. All the power that he'd seen, everything that he had seen in the life of Jesus, all the ministry, all the nights around the campfire, all of the, all of the, the incredible work that they'd done, the calling on his life and, and what, what was gonna happen and what was happening. And all of a sudden, boom, it's just like, boom, I just dropped the ball. I blew it. And he's weeping bitterly because he realizes how he let him down. And I, I just think of that moment that says when the Lord turned and looked at Peter. It was kind of like I, I, I knew this was coming. It just crushed him. And then Jesus is taken away. He's gone through a mock trial. He's crucified. And then on resurrection morning, Peter was one of the people that ran to the tomb. In John chapter 20, it says that that. that they were, Peter and John were running to the tomb after Mary had said, he's, he's alive. He's not at the tomb. This is what happened. She went first to, to them. Peter runs to the tomb. And so we see Jesus appearing to the disciples after his resurrection. But John chapter 21 is an interesting chapter because most scholars would, would say that the book of John would, should have ended at the end of chapter 20 when it says all the things contained in this book you know, or just a fraction. I mean, if we were to write everything down that Jesus did, there weren't enough books in the, in the world that can contain it. But what I love that the Holy Spirit inspired John to include at the end of this gospel is, is what happens with Peter. And I think it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing on, on experiencing failure and what Jesus does with us, to us, and for us in our failures. So we see in John chapter 21 that the the disciples went fishing again. And so Peter's in the boat. They're fishing. They fished all night again and didn't catch anything. I don't know if dots are connecting for Peter, but I don't know if, that's, if that was a common thing, like to fish all night and not catch anything. But he went back to fishing, and they all went fishing. And then, then in the morning, when, when the morning when the sun was rising, Jesus shows up. And in verse 5, he says, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put out on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And I think this is incredible. Peter didn't wait to row back in. He didn't care about the, the great catch of fish. All, this is the same situation that had happened in Luke chapter five when Jesus called Peter, but all of a sudden, all that's on his mind is I've gotta get to Jesus. I've gotta get there. 
I mean, he just says, I'm, I'm gone. It, it reminds me of that moment in the movie in Forrest Gump uh, when he gets the call and he's on the Jenny. And he says, Forrest, your mom is sick. And all of a sudden, he hangs up the phone and he runs and he jumps off the edge of the boat and he swims to shore and the cuts to the next scene and he's running down the street and he's like, back home with mama. That's exactly what, the, I think that's where they, that's where they came up with this because that's, that's Peter. He realizes that's Jesus on the shore and he, he just takes off and he throws himself at Jesus' feet again. They have breakfast and then we see the conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, we don't know. Is he talking about the disciples? Is he talking about the fish? Whatever he's talking about. But he says, he, Peter answers him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, tend my sheep. And Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. This, Jesus said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to Peter, follow me. I think this is just a beautiful restoration story because we all deal with failure. We all struggle with failure. I mean, we see the failure in Peter. We see the restoration that came through Jesus. And so many times when we experience failure, and failure with faith or failure just in life, we tend, to, we tend to listen to the enemy more than we'll let the drawing of the Holy Spirit bring us back in, and we run from God. I think, I think if we're gonna let Jesus do something in our failures, we've gotta understand some things about how he sees us. I think a lot of times when we run from God, we have a broken view of how he sees us. We've got our view, not God's view. And I, I think what's beautiful about this is that, that Jesus knows we're gonna fail. I mean, Jesus is not expecting perfection from us. He knows we're going to fail. Jesus knew. He told Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to deny me three times. I know it's coming. Satan's asked us if you like wheat. But even before Jesus said that, listen, go back to Luke chapter 5. When Jesus showed up on the shore before he said the first time to Peter, come follow me. And I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Jesus knew that he was going to fail. Before Peter was born, Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. Before you were born, before you took a breath, here's the beauty of it. God knew you were going to fail. All of us are born into failure. I mean, we're born into sin that separates us from God. And that sin is, is, is ultimate failure of, of humanity. Jesus knows we're going to fail. He knows we're going to make decisions that are going to turn out terrible. I mean, he, listen, there's some decisions that are a surprise to us, but not to him. And he, he knows it's going to happen. But listen, he still called Peter. I mean, Jesus could have said, this will be a whole lot easier if I'll pick somebody who's not gonna fail, but you know what? He's not gonna find any help. I mean, he, Jesus would be carrying around the same sign we see all over our society, help wanted. Because if he's looking for perfection, he can only hire himself because he is perfection. 
Yeah, he knows we're gonna fail and he still calls us into this relationship. He still draws us in. He still desires to work in us. I, I love that he sees that. Jesus sees something in us that we don't always see. He sees who we can be, not who we are. So many times we, we look back and we let the failures begin to define us and, and, and really build our identity and how we see ourselves. But when we look through the lens of Jesus, he sees who we can be. He sees who he can grow us into. And what happens in that failure, he knows we're gonna fail. Then Jesus, he shows up in it. It's just amazing to me that, you know, Peter... Luke 5, he fails at fishing. Next thing you know, there's this guy named Jesus walking on the shore, teaching these people, asks if he can get in my boat. Hey, have you caught anything? Nope, haven't caught anything. Well, go throw the nets out in the deep and let's get some fish. Master, we worked all night. I am tired. I have failed. I just need to go do something. I need to sleep. I need to get over this and then I'll go back at it when I'm, when I'm rested. But because you say so, he throws it out. Jesus shows up on the shore. What I find interesting is after the resurrection, Jesus shows up to the disciples a couple times before this incident. And if you remember that, that the disciples were locked in a room, they locked themselves because they were afraid. And Jesus comes right into the room. He shows up with them one time, Thomas isn't there. The next time Thomas is there, then we, Thomas is no longer doubting Thomas, Thomas is a believing Thomas. This is after that. They go fishing and they're on the shore. But you got to think, Peter's probably still carrying that. I mean, like, like, Jesus didn't say anything about it in front of everybody else. It's, are we good? You know, you know that feeling? But Jesus shows up. Listen, so many times we wonder, God, where were you? Where were you in that moment where I, where I, I just, I screwed everything up? I think a lot of times we, we're not looking. And if you remember in this, Jesus shows up. He says, do you have any fish? No, we don't have any fish. He says, cast your nets. Somebody else, John had to say to Peter, that's Jesus. When you fail, do you have somebody around you that can point you to Jesus? Do you have somebody in your life that's gonna connect you back and say, look, look, don't let this overcome you. Don't let this define you. And they start pointing you to Jesus. I mean, it, it, is, it is incredible to me how we'll walk away from Jesus because we feel like we've so disappointed. We'll go back to the first thing. Remember, Jesus knows we're gonna fail. It's when he said, my grace is big enough. My grace has got you. I got you in this. And Jesus, Jesus is ready to do something. He doesn't just show up to, to cast blame. He doesn't just show up to do anything. He shows up in our failure. And, and listen, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Our past, our present, our failures, they cannot separate us from the love of God. This is what Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 and 30, through 39. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we've been killed all the day long, and we regard as sheep to be slaughtered. But he says, Who shall separate us? Is there anything? And he says, No, no. 
Nothing. In all these things, we're more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors in all of this? All of those things he listed are defeating scenarios. They're the scenarios that, that the enemy wants to sift us and press us down into to get us into defeat. He wants to lead us into failure, so we'll identify as a failure, and that's where we live. And we think, well, God can no longer love me because I've just dropped it big time. I, I've messed up beyond all mess ups. This is, God will never forgive me for this. That's the voice of the enemy speaking in. And God is he's right there. Jesus shows up right in the middle of all those, all those situations. And he's prayed for us. He's prayed for our faith. He's asked us to stand strong in the faith. But he says, no, we're more than conquerors. How are we more than conquerors? It's the power of God working in us. It's not my goodness, it's his. It's not my power, it's his. He's the hero here, not me. It's not pick yourself up by your bootstraps when you fail. It's not, it's not figure out how to get it done. It's not believe in yourself and you're going to do better. No, no, it is this. It is throw yourself on the mercy and the grace of Jesus and believe in him and let him pick you up out of that failure because he's right there. And he says, come on. I mean, even when Peter was walking on the water, he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he starts sinking. And what does Jesus do? He reaches out his hand. Come on, keep this faith. Why did you doubt he says, we're more than conquerors, for I'm sure that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, so many times when we, when we get faced by our failures, you know, we, we, need to, we need to speak into our past and say, you know what, nothing can separate me from the love of God. The very first time I had to preach to, to, to an adult audience, I, I used this story. I, I, the first time I preached, I was so stinking nervous because I was a youth pastor and I'm going to preach to the adults. I'd just been promoted to adult pastor and uh, I was the number two speaker on the team. And uh, that Friday, we had services on Saturday and Sunday at that, that church I was on staff with. But that Friday, I got a call from one of the executive pastors. He goes, hey, pastor's sick. I was like, man, that's terrible. I'll be praying for him. And he goes, no, 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 that means you're on this weekend. I was like, dude, today is my effective date as adult pastor, and you're throwing me in this quick? So I said, well, well send me his notes, and I'll try to preach. He goes, no, no, he's going to preach that message next week, which means you got to write your own. I'm like, oh, dear Jesus, help me. I was like, all I have are youth messages. I mean, I could bring some adults from the crowd up, and we could do a pie-in-the-face game or something like that. I don't know, I mean, which wouldn't be so bad. We got to try that sometime. It'd be awesome. Uh, but I, I remember calling a friend of mine, and I was talking about being close to God. And, and I called a friend of mine, and I said, hey, you know in the old pickups where it's a bench seat, you know, before the big center consoles and gear shifters in the middle, but it's a bench seat? He goes, yeah. I said, well, do you have one of those? And he says, well, I've got a seat in my van. He goes, it's not the front seat for a pickup, but it's a bench seat for me. I said, that'll work. Bring it in. Because I, I had this story that I was, I mean, it was my hook, right? This is my hook. And so I've got this bench seat sitting there the whole time. And people are like, what is that? You know, did the band forget to take something off? Did they leave? You know, it's like, it's like you know, uh, just, it, I know it was bothering people the whole time. So finally, when I get to the hook, I go. And I was like, you know, there was this old country guy, this old farmer. And they had this old beat-up pickup. And I sat down where the driver's seat would be on that bench seat. And I said, and his wife, she would ride in the middle all the time. And he would ride with his hand over the steering wheel and his arm right beside her. And they would go, they would 
tear up those country roads. They would go through the ranch roads. They would ride around the ranch. And wherever he went, and she was right there beside him, arm around him like this. Well, eventually, she kind of moved over and started sitting by the, on the passenger seat. And so they're riding down the road one day after several years, and she looks over at him. She says, honey, we used to be so close. I mean, do you remember we used to sit side by side in the truck and, and just, what's changed? And the old husband just looked over and he says, baby, I've never moved. So many times, life just pulls us away. Our fears, our anxieties, our failures, even our successes, guys. And God is right there. And we hit that moment going, how did I get so far away from you, God? And he says, I've never moved. I've been here the whole time with you. I've been with you through your successes. I've been with you through your failures. I've celebrated with you. I've hurt with you. Nothing has separated us. I'm right here. I think we need to realize that if we're going to overcome our failure, we've got to overcome that gap. Even at our lowest point, Jesus shows up to us and loves us and provides victory through our failures. Because Jesus sees something we don't always see. Jesus sees a future beyond failure. He knows we're going to fail. He's with us in that moment. He shows up in it in a mighty powerful way. And yet he has something on the other side of it. I mean, that's the, that's the power of God at work. Go back to Luke chapter 22. Remember, he said, Simon, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. I mean, he's asked to bring it on, but I, take heart, I've prayed for you. But then that statement makes sense now because you've got the context of Peter's life after the failure, right? Because he says, and when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers, well, to, to understand the strength that God had him and what Jesus was seeing in Peter happened in Acts chapter one and chapter two, that Peter began to lead these disciples, that they're in the upper room in Acts chapter one. And he says, look, we've got work to do. We're gathered up, we're praying. And Jesus had to wait here and pray for the promised Holy Spirit. We got work to do. Look, Judas, Judas is gone. We've got to bring another disciple up. They cast lots. It's Matthias. Then Peter is the one who led out on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Full of the Holy Spirit, full of the power of God, steps out, proclaims the gospel message of Jesus. This failure is able to stand before these people and preach the gospel. And 3,000 people that day got saved. But what we see is that every day the Lord was adding to their number because Jesus was working through a failure that he saw beyond the failure. That Jesus doesn't look at your identity in the failure. He looks at your identity in Christ. And he says, if I've called you to do it, I'll equip you for it because I'm with you the whole time. I've got you. I've got you in my hand and nothing can separate you from me. And so let's do this. I love that he sees beyond what our failure is. That he, he, he says, you're a fisher of men. And, and Peter went to fishing for men. He was a strong leader in the church. He was an encourager. He was a disciple, a proclaimer of the gospel. And here's what I love. Jesus still has a plan for us after we mess up. Some of you are wrapped around the axle on some of your failures right now. And you've let that become your identity. And I just want to ask you to not stay in that. I'm asking you to press into grace. Let grace work in that failure. And it, it, it doesn't mean that we just continue to, 
we continue to throw ourselves into failure because, listen, there's a way we can abuse this grace. I mean, look at it in the context of sin is that, that I, can, I, can, I can be in sin and I go, well, I ask God to forgive me and he has grace to cover me, but then I'm gonna keep doing that sin. I'm gonna keep doing this. I'm gonna keep living this same life. I know I'm failing, but yet Jesus is, is still loving me and still providing grace in that failure. And, and that, that, that's an abuse of grace. It's what Paul would write to the church in Rome. That's what some of them were struggling with. And he would say, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The thought behind that is, is I, I have a free pass to keep on sinning and keep on letting God uh, pay the bill. Paul would go on to make an argument like, look, if that's your attitude, you probably have not had a full encounter, a right encounter, a real encounter with Jesus. That that grace that so saves us and picks us up probably not happened yet. And we probably need to address that. Because what we're doing in this is Jesus knows we're gonna fail, but it doesn't mean I continue to push myself or drive into failure. That grace that changes me after my failure. See, that, that moment when that, that manager looked at me and said, you failed the interview. It was that, 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 that switch. I can get angry, try to defend my answers, try to argue it, but I'm not gonna change those results on that paper. So I said, what can I do so I pass it next time? I don't wanna repeat that same failure. And that's the beauty of the grace of God when he picks us up in that failure. Listen, he's bringing freedom into our life from those things that keep us bound up in our failures. That's the beauty of it. That's, you know what? That's the restoration from the brokenness. That's the restoration from the failure. You know what it really is? It's the gospel. That's what the gospel is. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus does for us. Because look, we, we can look at it in the context of, of Peter's life and his failure, but look at it in our context. Jesus knew humanity would fail. Jesus knew we would sin. Jesus knew that they would eat the fruit in the Garden of Eden and that would sever the relationship. He knew this. And then Jesus showed up in a manger. And Jesus lived this life and he called failures like Peter. He called failures like the other 11 disciples. Jesus showed up and he called this failure to stand before you and proclaim that, that he and he alone gives us a future after failure. He gives us redemption because he showed up on a cross and he laid his life down and he took our sin and he took the fullness of our fails and he, he bore all the pain and the shame and the guilt and the condemnation and the death that we deserved and he nailed that to the cross and he overcame it all. And then he gives us this life. And Jesus, you know what I love about Jesus is he never fails. He never fails. He stands ready to pick us up with grace. And, and I just, I just want to challenge you and ask you that, you know, what, what failure is nagging at you? What's that thing that you're just holding on to that, that you, just, you just need to let go. Because my, 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 the only thing I got for you is to, is to lay it down and run to Jesus. Throw yourself into the sea of his grace and let his mercy and his restoration, his overcoming power over failure do a, a miraculous, magnificent work in you. Jesus, we love you and we thank you that you never fail.
you never give up. Even when we give up and we feel like we're just overcome by our failures, that Jesus, your grace overcomes in us, that your power works in us. And I'm asking you just to pour out your grace on us and forgive us where we have fallen. We have all fallen. We all fall short of your glory, Jesus. And I'm asking you to forgive us and pour out your grace. I'm asking for restoration. You don't just forgive us and move on, but you call us. You look at us again and say, follow me. I'm asking for that restoration to be, to be so real for people. That we follow you. We chose to follow you. God, for those that have never made the choice, that this, this moment, I pray that they choose to follow you. Just by saying, Jesus, I believe you showed up for me on the cross. I believe you gave your life for me. I believe you have grace that stands ready to restore me and bring me into this relationship where I can follow you. And we choose to follow you into the life, the hope, and the future that you have for us. God, may our lives be lived for your glory. Even the grace that overcomes the failures in our life, may it be for your glory. All for your name's sake, Jesus. Amen, amen. We love you guys.